for Vicar Widow's Knock Knock, episode 48, narrated by Leo St Paul. Good evening folks and welcome to the Knock Knock Club, where the best place in the city to raise a smile, raise a glass and, well, raise merry hell. Tony's done a crowd laugh merrily. She was feeling a little nervous, but she still had it. It felt good to be back where she belonged. She gave a wave to David and Tabitha, who watched on from the balcony above. Agnes was out on the floor. Tony had spotted her taking a phone call during her third song. She looked a little concerned. Well, you've been fabulous. I've been fabulous. It's been an all-round pleasure. Tony winked to her audience as she closed her act. I've had a lot of fun looking out at you, watching me, thinking I'm going to do something entertaining, she teased. We love you, Tony, someone cried, drunk but enthusiastic. Thank you, honey, Tony replied. Do you take a check? Laughter was returned to her like the warmth of the lights on her face. And now that your bellies are full, let's feast your eyes. We want to keep you here drinking our booze and spending your money for as long as possible, so we do what any entertainer would do. We bring on the tits. Without further messing, please welcome the gorgeous knock-knock girls. Tony stepped off and the stage was filled with beautiful dancers. The Baroness made her way to Agnes, who was stood at the bar. Jen, please, Lisa, I need a little something, Tony ordered. Agnes took her arm. You did brilliant, she assured. It all comes natural, Tony laughed. Oh, thanks, honey, she said. I kept looking out for Brendan Mack and the boys. It's so different without them here. Kieran would have been trying to get up on the stage by now. Agnes smiled fondly. I kept telling him not to turn the place into a karaoke bar. Tony replied. Well, big Double D wasn't complaining. She always got the biggest tips from him. Double D, or alternatively Big Diane, was a knock-knock girl whose breasts were so large she was able to serve bottles from underneath them. She was a favourite of eldest Mac's son, Kieran. I got a call from Belfield, Agnes explained. Things are getting really bad down now. I'm afraid Paddy's died. Tony reached her hand to her mouth to stifle a gasp. Agnes stroked her arm. I'm going down to help out, Agnes explained. Maybe we should both go, Tony suggested. Agnes refused. There's a lot of trouble going on down there. It would be easier to be discreet. Discretion was never your strong suit. What are you saying, Tony teased. I'm saying you can't resist the bells and whistles, Agnes suggested. You stay here and try to keep tabs out of trouble. Lisa pushed Tony's gin towards her. Give us two glasses of Mac, Lisa, Tony ordered. When they had their Macs in hand, they clinked glasses. To Paddy, they both said. To the Macs. In the early hours of the following morning, Agnes set to make her way to Belfield, where tensions between the Belfieldians and the Northsiders had escalated. The Mac distillery had been gifted by the Church of St Wigan to their Northside faithful after a buy oversaw it in their possession. Those Northsider folks need their spirits lifted, said Dominic. Give them the distillery. A Belfield fleet had been thieving from most stores and supplies that Northside normally shared with Affield Bay. The church leader was taking the crime personally as it left his people in the Wigan commune feeling hungry and desperate. The reigning family in Northside, the Tullocks, were leading a fight against the fleet in hopes that they could flush them out, finally putting to bed an ancient rivalry. It was a mess that Agnes would be walking into. I'll take care, David had said as he hugged her. I'll hold the fort for you. Agnes patted David's cheek. I'm trusting you to look after these two, Agnes said with some confidence, stopping them from doing something stupid. Tabitha rolled her eyes. I still think I should go and sort the cunts out, she said. Agnes pointed the boss lady's ankle bracelet. It was no Bergman jewel bestowed. It was courtesy of the Office of Lawmakers. She kissed Tony. Be good, she warned. Always, said Tony. I had arrived at the club to talk to Tony just as Agnes was making her leave. Going anywhere in particular, I asked. Agnes smiled. 
Well, you're not running a story, are you? she asked. No, I returned. The story's still here. I just wanted to wish you well. It was then her taxi cab arrived. She waved over to the driver. You're a good friend. A good aunt and a good woman, Agnes, I told her. Best of luck. Agnes embraced me. We'd been through a lot in knowing each other. That was when we parted in our taxi headed towards the troubles in Belfield. It wasn't easy stepping back inside the knock-knock club where this journey had all begun for me. But Tony wouldn't stray too far from it. She said it was where she belonged and well, that was true. But I think underneath it all she was afraid to step outside. This was understandable given all she had been through. Where's Tabitha? I asked as we took a seat at the same table my wife and I had shared on the first night we visited the club. She's around somewhere, Tony confirmed of her niece. I'm sorry it didn't work out with you. I still had no idea where the Baroness had gotten the idea that Tabitha and I had been a couple of any kind. I heard that the showgirl could be a little delusional when it came to her precious little trouble, but she really only did see Tabitha one way. My quest wasn't to set her straight, though. It was to gain a better understanding of the Wigan culture that was sweeping across the city. Did you know Dominic Cole personally? I asked her of the church leader. Oh yeah, Tony replied. He was always a snot-nosed little kid. I can't blame him for being pissed at the world, to be honest. His pa gave him the life of a dog. He was given to the church before he could speak. His ma was a nice enough woman, but when she died, Dominic had a stepmother within a week. All he had left was his sister, and she was sent off to marry some fancy lord. Do you think he would do harm? Oh, in a heartbeat, Tony stated, without needing to think. If anyone in that church gets it into their head to cause trouble, they will. We discussed Tony's experiences a little further. We discussed how large a feature the Wigan Commune was over in the bay, how much influence the church had, and the terrifying experience she had when she was younger when they tried to torture her straight. Well, hello, Sam. Well, this is fucking awkward. I heard Tabitha's voice. I stood. Thanks for talking to me, I said to Tony. As I tried to make my leave, Tabitha was in my way. She had her hands on her hips and her grin was filled with confidence. She had escaped the death penalty for now, and she was feeling immortal. You have a loving family around you, I said to her. You have your club, you have your aunt, and you have every opportunity. Take it, I advised. She stared blankly at me at first. I don't think anyone had ever said such a thing to her. And then she grinned. You still don't have a fucking invitation, she said. Chuck and Carol had been residents of Coldridge Park for almost a year. No homes, no prospects, no life but to spend their days drinking cheap wine and watching the world go by. Excitement came when they saw a discarded newspaper that told of the return of Reggie Penn. That's Pete, announced Chuck excitedly. When the park rangers came looking for him, they had strong suspicions that the stranger was Reggie, but he hadn't done them harm, so they let him be. They even helped him out as one of their own. When the news announced the return of Reginald Penn Jr., it was confirmed. Their friend Pete was safe and home at last. He had lost his parents, the poor little sod, but he was good. He had friends around him, so that was that. Chuck and Carol clinked their bottles and enjoyed a swig to Pete's health. Chuck figured he would come down to the park and maybe say hello to his old pals when he could get out again, but word was, he had been locked at the top of his tower. You're a sentimental old fool, said Carol. He's back where he belongs. He's not going to want to come down here anymore. Chuck had to agree. It would be nice to have a chat with him, find out what he'd been up to. Phew, he didn't envy the rich anyway, if he meant having all those daggers pointed at your bag by the other rich folk. Both of them thought that was that. Life goes on. Until an afternoon in the park, lounging by the duck pond, hoping for some generosity of some strangers, a man in a suit approached them. 
Chuck had been busy throwing mouldy scraps to the ducks when he felt Carl tapping vigorously at his shoulder. The badge of the pen auction house and the man's shirt was the first thing he noticed. Are you guys Chuck and Carl? he asked. Chuck and Carl were a little taken aback to say the least. No one wanted to talk to them. No one official at least. I don't have much time so I'll assume that's a yes, said the man, accompanied by two loyalists. My name's Jeremy. I'm the chief auctioneer for the pens and I'm here on behalf of Reginald Penn Jr. We'd like to extend an invitation to the Falls Park building. Accommodation, provisions and clothing will be provided on Mr Penn's account. Chuck almost choked in his disbelief. What did you say? You are Chuck and Carl, right? Uh, yeah, Carol answered for both of them. And Mr. Penn would like to extend his gratitude and hospitality to both of you. If you come with me, I have a car waiting. Chuck punched Carol's arm. They were still flabbergasted. Neither of them had hoped that the Penn boy, now that he was back to being a prince, would want anything to do with them. But now they were being ushered into one of the Penn town cars, the smell of fresh leather mixed with lemon air freshener was intoxicating. The firmness of the seats was unlike anything either man had ever known. It's one of the oldest residential buildings in Colford, Chuck was proudly explaining the history of Falls Park as the authority on the subject. Well, by authority, he meant he had passed it once and read the plaque outside. At the reception, they were treated like royalty. The receptionist handed them the key to apartment 605B. Welcome to Falls Park, gentlemen, she smiled. She was so accommodating, it was as though they hadn't been plucked from one of the darkest corners of Coldridge Park. The biggest surprise was when they opened the door of their new home to be presented with a buffet of some of the best fast food Bobby's lunchbox had to offer. I'm afraid Mr. Penn isn't available to meet you personally, said the auctioneer, but I hope you settle in well and will join you as best as he can. As Jeremy slipped from the room, Chuck and Carol had been too focused on the pizza, the fries and the chicken all freshly prepared. They were practically still sizzling. Chuck grabbed a slice of pizza. It was pepperoni. He'd never tried pepperoni before. It was delicious. It was giggling from what the men could only assume was the bathroom of the apartment. The place was so big it was difficult to tell. All questions were answered when the bathroom emerged two beautiful shapely women. They were both naked except for the soap suds they had scattered across their supple bodies. One blew some of the soap suds towards them. Chuck had mentioned to Reggie his fondness for redheads during one of their long discussions around their fire. The trim junction of her thighs gave hint that well, it was all natural. Hello, boy, she teased, reaching her arm around her blonde companion. I'm Rebecca, and this is Camilla. On behalf of Reggie Penn, welcome to Felt's Park. You go ahead, need your fill, then we'll get you scrubbed up, boys. So the youngest prince of Maine had been left in charge of not only the auction houses, but Falls Park. The king was well and truly gone, and a new generation was taking over. Your call has not been accepted. The automated voice of the Colford Correctional Telephone Service grated on Simon Penn's last nerve. He slammed the phone receiver against its metal body. All right, Penn, I got called to him. If she doesn't want to talk, just leave her be. Simon glared at him. I'm trying to reach my brother. The guard rolled his eyes. Of course you are, he mumbled sarcastically. Time's up. Today's not your day. The day for reaching Reggie was not that day. It wasn't the day before either, nor the day before that. When he returned to Marcus, he found him cross-legged in his cell reading a book. Still won't take the call, Simon spat. Marcus had already deduced the cause of his brother's temper. I'm going to fucking kill him when I do get my hands on him. Marcus looked up from the book. Calm down, he suggested. Simon reads. Don't you tell me to fucking calm down, his fists were clenched. His teeth bared. Marcus dropped his book and stood. Don't even think about it, he warned. Simon stepped back. Oh, come on, Marcus. A whole life she's been a pain in the ass. 
He had his chance to stay out of it, and what does he do? He walks up to the gates with the boss, knocks on the door and asks him for coming out. I mean, who the fuck does that? Because of his stupidity, he's raped, beaten, and tortured within an inch of his life, like... Dad got himself killed trying to find the little prick and her mother. I know the agent girl said that he was in a bad way when they got him home. But you and I both know mother would still be alive if it had been either of us there. Now he won't return our calls? Who the fuck does he think he is? The auction house is back up for sale and he hasn't even made a single attempt to get it back. Sean Luke has been an asshole and Reggie can't stay sober long enough to tell him to back the fuck off. He's lost track of Jeremy. Dad spent a lifetime building a rep in the city and it's all but fucking gone. Does Reggie care? Who the fuck knows? Because he won't talk to anyone. He's too busy handing out apartments to all those fucking hobos of Coldridge. Prostitutes sleeping in her mother's bed and rumour has it he's like those wigging cunts in the building. Loyalist my arse. They're fucking wiggins, and everyone but that sky prick can see it. Drivers, cooks, even old Mrs Taylor who runs the laundry have been all been sent away. What's he trying to do to us? I've gone into so many fights over the years, people calling a retard. But are you supposed to defend him when he does this shit? He's gave her home away, he's all but lost the auction house, started a war on Louis lost Jeremy, became a monk and he's only been on his own for two fucking weeks like. Marcus sat back down in his chair. He lifted his book and rested it in his lap. If you believe Reggie is ignoring us at his own behest, then you may be a little retarded yourself. Seriously, you choose now to try to be funny? Marcus raised an eyebrow and opened the book. Obviously he's not, Simon went on, but someone is. And I'll bet it's those Wiggins. After what they did to him when he was a kid. Surely you can tell some fucked up religious fanatic from a true loyalist. And it's not helping with us in here. We need to be out of this place before it's game over. Speaking of which, I bet he's let those fucking hobos use my profiles. Marcus groaned. Well, she have been ranting like a lunatic. I've been making strides to correct things, he revealed. A letter to Jean-Luke, a royal request from King Marcus that he shut his goddamn mouth. A request to the lawmakers that all leased apartments in Falls Park, signed by Reggie, be declared null and void. Tabitha ushered to open a knock-knock shelter to those Reggie had aimed to help. As for the auction house, dealing with Marshall Cooper was not going to be pleasant, but deal with him he would. Now for the little matter of being held in servitude to the boss. Having searched the library for any information he could find on Article 22, he was finally given a proposal, well, not from Judge Doyle whose vision of the entire affair was only ever going to be in one direction, but from the cappy. Kathleen spoke in his behalf. Any day now they could be receiving a call from Melanie Wallace, that lawmaker woman who you supposedly killed. Alive and well she will be, and all a hoax set up by your enemies. The biggest injustice in Colford since she sucked the air through her teeth. Since the knock-knock club was burned down, look at Marcus frowned. Why would you do that? Kathleen smiled. Marcus, I didn't know your dad. I didn't care to know him if you want me to be honest with you. I don't know any of you either, but I do know Chick. Far better than you do. And if you are, for the now, what they call it, King of Maine, isn't it best to make alliances? Here she'll vote her voice. Article 22 has everyone shitting themselves. You want to be on the receiving end of that? Chick's fight was with Reginald because he murdered Pops. Let's not beat around the bush, but he was punished for that, so... There's no need to continue with grudges, is there? My brother Reggie, Marcus had to address the issue of Capiso's treatment of his triplet. He was literal part of Marcus, so an assault on Reggie was as good as an assault on himself. Kathleen didn't seem to be as dubious about this as he had expected she would be. He had a man deliberately infected with AIDS, so don't get too high and mighty. Besides, 
The number of mothers had to watch bear the sons because of your father's visit to the chapter house. So don't go throwing all the blame on my boys. It's time to end this bullshit pissing contest, don't you think? If there's one thing you'll learn about me, it is that I like the status quo. The Capisola boys have gotten out of hand. I don't like what they're doing. My chicks don't like what they're doing. I'm here specifically for the purposes of putting them back in line. If your father truly raised you to be as noble as everyone says he was, then you'll see some sense in working with me. We can work together and get things running good for all of us, or you can continue riding in here until Judge Doyle decides on what she wants to do with you. Make no mistake. It's no hassle on my end, and it's no worries to the cap either. So, you can ride in here or get your ass out. For fuck's sake, let's move on before Judge Doyle decides to shut the whole fucking thing down. Rotten the boss will make a stride for the future of Payne Dynasty. It was an easy choice, really. Stay in the building. Reggie Payne had been warned it didn't suit the rat boy to be caged. He needed a little floor time. Even a large enclosure like Falls Park was imprisoning. Loyalists stopped by to pay their respects in homage to their interim king of Maine whilst Marcus remained in the boss. The interim king wanted to smoke weed and play video games. A whilst him had to do, Reggie had asked a good gang agent who had been assigned to watch over him. The agents watched the comings and goings of the Folds building as best as they could, but when Reggie was vouching for everyone who came to visit, it was no easy task. He's sound, Reggie would say. I met him at a party once, or she's cool. We've been chatting online for months. His protectors were almost ready to tear their hair out. He sent me a dick pic by accident once, and sent him one back to shut him up, Reggie laughed. Maybe he knew the strangers in his home. Maybe he didn't. A group of rats is termed a mischief. This made sense because there were lots of mischief afoot. Reggie didn't seem to see much danger in the situation. He claimed that the people who were swarming around him knew him. Of course they knew him, I tried to explain. He was Reggie Bloody Pen. Every person in their grand knew who he was at this point. And Reggie just laughed it off. You need to keep yourself a bit more contained, I had warned him. I'm just being friendly, like, he insisted. It's all part of it. When Marcus comes home, they can all wave goodbye to that, he teased. It's not exactly a cuddly bloke. I'm not going to be there to watch your back, cunt, Tabitha had warned. It's cool, Reggie insisted. When Tony visited, it seemed like there had been a bit of a party going on. They were mostly dressed in loyalist gear, but there were so many unknown faces. Having a bit of a celebration, honey, she'd asked him. Got to entertain like a king, Reggie replied in jest. To Reggie, entertaining like a king was passing out joints, keeping the booze flowing and fighting for the high scores in Kobe games. Basher. Soon the place was swamped. The agents were busy dealing with troubles elsewhere. He seemed to be doing well enough after his attack, although he wouldn't speak of it. He was in fine enough spirits, despite his mind being a little hazy every now and again. He had always been something of a colourfully minded individual, but his stint in captivity had rendered him disorientated. While Marcus had his share of legal troubles to wade through, Agent Reynolds had vouched for Simon to join him. He needs someone he can trust by his side, Reynolds had said. With the control of City being in the hands of mentally and physically beaten Tripler, who was always a bit of a wild card, it was a huge cause for concern. When I arrived at the False Park building, I happened upon the ruckus I had been told of. I had to search through the swarms of people before I finally managed to have an audience with Reg Jr. Sam, he greeted as though we were old friends. He was seated on a sofa with a game control in his hand. You're up. You want to beat my high score? Uh, maybe some other time, I offered. With the Kobe server still halted by the Office of Lawmakers, Reggie had brought out his old consoles. With the Kobe server still halted, I was still unable to reach out digitally, so I was forced to retreat to timeless techniques. I had an agreement with Elizabeth Beck and Reggie's printing press that they would publish in the old-fashioned way. 
This was on the understanding that I would give them something to print. So there I was with Reggie Penn, hoping he could offer some insight into his experiences. Can you tell me what happened at the boss? I asked him. He paused the game. I'd rather not, he said. Very well, I moved on. As you know, I set out initially to tell the story of Mayor Feltz. Nobody was ever recovered. Do you know what happened to him? Reggie gave a laugh. <laughs> you don't let up, do you? I think the city deserves to find out what happened to the mayor. Felt's family deserved to know the truth. Marcus is already spending time in servitude for murder charges. If he was responsible, there's nothing to lose. Reggie shook his head. He gave another laugh, but it was a nervous one. He unpaused his game and his sumo wrestling figure faced off against a computer-controlled warlord who looked suspiciously like a black band. There was no way Reggie would ever say anything that would incriminate his brother or Tabitha. I had to adjust my approach. It'd be more beneficial to look to the future rather than the past anyway. So what are your plans for City Main? I asked him. I passed a lot of Wigan followers on the way in here. It seems every second person had a pin on them. Are they making your people uncomfortable, pushing their beliefs more and more? St Michael's, their biggest parish, is right on your doorstep. The huge cathedral dedicated to Wigan's punishing disciple was within walking distance of Falls Park. It had been in the hands of Owen Inc., but as the church gained momentum, their prayers were answered and it was returned to them. The Wiggins get a bad rep, said Reggie. Nan Halfstone and Jerry Owen did some shit, but who doesn't get a bad rep in this sight from someone? I spent time over in the baby tabs when we were kids, like. Naturally, I stayed in the commune for a bit. They're weird, but I made some friends over there. Did you meet Dominic Cole? I asked. I did, Reggie admitted. Only briefly, like. He's a white job and a half. Reggie then let a joint. He took a few puffs and then offered it to me, which I refused. My mind had to remain on my interview. I'm not really a religious sort, but each to their own, not that. Reggie went on. If you want a weekend mushy trip, the bay's the place to be, he jested. Keep a close eye on your kingdom, Reggie was warned, as the bells rang just outside the falls building. Ding, 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 ding. You cannot be saved. Reggie was feeling a little overwhelmed and confused. He was glad he was back home once again, but there were so many people around it was making him anxious that he didn't recognise all of them. They said they knew him, so he let them in. He didn't want to be rude. The guard on the Folds building was despairing, but there was only so much that could be done when Reggie himself was permitting. Simon had tried calling from the boss, but the call was intercepted. Put Reggie on a fucking phone, he yelled at the stranger who answered. The noise in the background was making it difficult to hear as it was. Time's up, the boss called. Meanwhile, Reggie was wondering why he hadn't heard from his brothers. There were guys on the pool table. Who the fuck were they? Who had chosen the music? Skinned up, called another strange face, throwing a joint to him. They would be rude to refuse or to ask who he was. He had taken the time to roll a good joint. Ding! The elevator to the penthouse landed on the main floor. The doors drew open. A woman of similar age to Reggie stepped off. She had fresh, milky skin. Her long hair was tied in a braid that fell down her back. The clothes she wore were humble but pleasant. She had a purple ribbon tied around her neck. Hello, Reggie, she greeted in a sweet and island voice. Reggie's eyes widened. He was finally glad to see a face he did recognise. Leona, he gasped. He hadn't seen the Wigan girls since they were both youngsters on the island. She was one of the friends he had spoken of. She had grown into quite a natural beauty. He remained stationed, a little stunned and a little in pain. My big brother told me you were hurt. I had to come and see you. I was so worried. Leona, you see, was the sister of Bartholomew, 
Given their friendship, Dominic had decided she would be the best to visit and bring Reggie some comfort. Can't believe it, Reggie cheered. It's been a long time. They had kept in contact over the years with letters here and there, but having her stood before him cheered Reggie. He shifted to her and wrapped his arm around her as best as he could. She embraced him softly. She had a bright smile that made her naturally blushing cheeks glow. Her pretty dark eyes were protected with naturally long lashes that were brittle from the salty air of the bay. Cannot be saved, she spoke into his ear. But I'm here to make you feel better. She dipped her hand into the hand-woven leather purse that hung around her hip. She drew out a packet of heather mushrooms. Shall I make us some tea? End of episode.